Contentment or fulfillment? Contentment or fulfillment? Like, um, like on average for a long-term kind of thing, not just not a momentary kind of thing. Yeah, so something that have like is consistent, like you're content for, for that a long period of time, you're fulfilled for a long period of time. Okay, what else? Anyone else? What comes to mind? So like I'm happy. What does that mean when you say I'm happy? Stress-free. Yes, stress-free. You feel you energized, you feel positive? Satisfied. Sorry? Satisfied. Satisfied? You feel satisfied? Feeling peaceful within yourself. Feeling peaceful, feeling at ease within yourself. Yeah, so those are all really fantastic um, you know, feelings that, you know, inshallah, Allah bestows, bestow it to all of you. Uh, there is this notion as well, I think, when people talk about happiness, uh, many people think that they need to find something you know, and do something now that makes them happy. And if something that makes me happy at that moment, I need to do more of it. You know, so for example, People um, find a lot of joy, let's say, when they play um, a video game and they win a level and they feel this enjoyment, right? They go, yay, you know, and, and they have that really spike of dopamine and like, like they're happy. Now, dopamine is our neurotransmitter, it's a happy drop, right? You go like, and then you go like, oh, that makes me happy. I need to do more, more of it. And then once you finish playing that game, dopamine is shot release, right? So then after that, you just go, crash and then oh so I need to do more of it. So here I am, I play the game and I go again, you know. So there are various things when people say happy, but there's actually very different um I'll let people tell you. Dopamine, right? Once the flowers are not 
there, you don't smell it anymore, dopamine comes down. Same with playing, um, I don't know, is Penny Crested in? So, you know, you play the game, <laughs> and you play the game, and then um, you win, and then you get a spike of dopamine, you stop the game, your dopamine crashes down again. Right? So, that small burst, our body needs it, but it comes from both good things that you do, that, that's wonderful, and also bad things that you enjoy. So you can actually channel that energy, the do your dopamine release, through things that are useful. So for example, if a person um, finds pleasure in zikir, they get the dopamine release during the zikir. And if a person finds pleasure in smoking or in gaming, that's where they find the dopamine release. So the dopamine release is actually independent of, of your state. Of your state. Oh. And it's, it's independent of the activity that you choose that you find pleasurable. So the choosing what's pleasurable to you is actually independent of um, that feeling. So you can decide for yourself. So I think the Quranic term for this might be farh, because uh, we have joy of enjoyment in the, in the Quran. Allah uses the word farh, and our Hafiz just now recited an ayah. Uh, with the bounties and the mercy of Allah, be far, be happy, be joyful. But Allah also uses this word joy for things of this world, where generally life of this world is not praised in the Quran, but Allah uses uh, for a short period of time, find joy with life of this world, and finding joy with life of this world can be positive and it can be negative. You can find joy in smoking, you can find joy in doing something haram, but the brain will not be able to know the difference. So you can find Yeah, so, so that's the pleasure. And then you've got other neurotransmitters in our brain that actually um, helps us feel happy, like oxytocin, right? So oxytocin is generally people think of oxytocin uh, about a mother and um, her child especially during childhood, oxytocin is, uh, is high. Actually, oxytocin is in both male and females. And oxytocin is our connectedness um, neurotransmitter, where we feel that when, when we feel connected, when you have people you can count on, like family, friends, um, the community, the jama'ah, when you feel that, oh, I am at peace with people, um, I have someone that I can depend on. I have people that I, are helpful in you know, surrounding, surrounding me. So your oxytocin level actually rises and that actually creates a longer happiness. And that is towards what Muhammad was saying, contentment and fulfillment. It's actually um, other things. So when you think about the immediate joy of things, um, that's temporary. Then you have to look at other things. So, oxytocin is longer term than dopamine. Yes. Uh, is it is it uh, permanent or is it still temporary? Or is it like if you look at dopamine, um, you need more and more. So if you keep playing the same game, you get tired. You just need a more challenging, a more fun game, something new. That generally relates to anything material, material based happiness or joy, you just need more. Uh, you're not going to be enough, you're not going to be happy with the same thing 
time you get tired of it, you know, it's more. But with oxytocin, do you need constantly need more, or do you need a better family, or do you need a bigger crowd, a more jamaah, or how does it work? Yeah, it's generally more stable. More stable. Yeah. So um, and actually, um, research towards connectedness have uh, actually found strongly that generally you need about um, five people who we are quite closely connected with, and that would probably be defined as our immediate family, you know, spouses, children, or parents, siblings. Um, and then we need about um, 20 more people surrounding us that we can sort of count on, right? And then we need about 50 more people, and that's you're talking about the Jama'a or the community from, from that perspective. So that's the general speaking. So you've got your dopamine, you've got your oxytocin, and then... And then we've got our
So what is it that you get at this final stage, at the fourth stage where you are connected to the divine, you're connected to Allah? What kind of happiness is that? So that's contentment, isn't it? And to, to start off with contentment, generally you, when you want to get to something that's difficult, the process is quite painful, isn't it? Now just think about exercise, right? If you're trying to build up a stamina to be able to, let's say, run 10 kilometers, right? Um, you would have to start with being able to run one kilometer and then two and then three and then endure the pain of your body aching, your lungs huffing and puffing. So that pain actually creates um, a happiness neurotransmitter and you all should know this, endor, endorphins, right? So endorphins actually builds that resilience. Endorphins is our resilience um, have, uh, that makes us stable, right? So being able to overcome difficulty, you know, staying up and trying to uh, wake up early in the morning to pray is difficult, right? It is hard. And sometimes to the body, it's even painful, right? It's, it's hard to keep your eyes awake and you've got to challenge yourself in so many um, different ways. So then the endorphins, they serve that resilience. So once you are more resilient, what, the more endorphins you have in your body, the more resilient you are to further challenges. So the next time when, let's say, you don't have enough sleep or you're so stressed with the exam, because you're so used to having enough endorphins in your body through gradually being stronger, your body is actually then more resilient to fight whatever challenges there are. In fact, there's this concept called mafum mukhalafa, understanding the opposite or reading between the lines. What you're saying is that you've, we find happiness through overcoming a difficult life or difficulties in life. Is it then right to say that we become unhappy when we have everything in life, when we live a life of full comfort, no difficulty, no challenges? Will we be less happy because of that? Comfort, because comfort creeps to our life. There is such a thing called comfort crisis, isn't it? So when you think about, when, it's very interesting actually, when you look at the level of anxiety and depression in first world countries versus the level of anxiety and depression in third world countries, the numbers are starkly different. Guess where is higher? In the first world country. And why is that when we have, like, you know, 20 different, just think of our own house, we can have up to 10 to 20 different kinds of options for breakfast, right? 39, 36 flavors of ice cream. 36. <laughs> and, and it's just so difficult to sometimes just even make a choice if that one particular flavor is not around, right? So um, when, when our life is such that if we, if we don't have like a bigger problem, we start thinking of the smaller minute problem and then that smaller minute problem becomes such a big problem and you just grow with that problem. A few months ago I was reading this research, research from Harvard um, about how the, our brain is wired uh, to survive the jungle to stay safe from eat, being eaten by a tiger or a lion or being snatched by a bear. So it's const constantly in a state of alert looking for problems, looking for things to go wrong. When things don't go wrong, we've, we, we tend to break 
just because minor things, things that uh, 100 years ago would not have been a problem to people back then, but it's now a problem for us because we are more accustomed to it. And this reminds me, you know, um, two years ago when uh, Habib Kaldin, uh, a scholar from Yemen, came to Brisbane, um, he was surprised that one of the most uh, the frequently asked questions that he got from the tour that he did in Brisbane was about mental health, about what is the cure for anxiety, what is the cure for depression, is it okay to take pills for... He was answering it after a while when we were just a group, a few of us, just the Islamic teachers was with him. He actually asked us, he said, what's wrong with Australians? We in Yemen, we don't have any, anything, we don't have food, we get bombarded by bombs, people are trying to kill us, we are struggling to live. And you in Australia, you have everything, and you're struggling to die. You're finding ways to kill yourself. What is wrong? And I think, uh, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so um, I think that's, that's a genuine problem, actually, when we, when, when we perceive a small problem as a big problem. And then, um, and because actually our brain is so, it's programmed to that, think that oh, it's a complex problem, it, things just get blown out of proportion. So a lot of things is actually our own perception of things and it's really helpful to basically reprogram and just stop and reflect and, stop and, reflect and be mindful of what are we actually doing um, in our brain and what are we actually saying to you, ourselves. You mentioned anxiety and depression and on the way just now driving to this BWA, uh, um, you, you're saying that the, the, the numbers of um, people with anxiety and depression in Australia, what, what are the numbers? Yeah, like? so when we are talking about stats, we're talking about one in six of Australians is currently experiencing anxiety or depression or both. So the numbers are pretty high, you're talking about you know a good um, close to 18% um, of the population. and. Um, Muslims are also part of the statistics. Um, it is it is part and parcel of it, right? So, and our our half is not also red and eye about depression. And this phrase, the the, the awliya of Allah, the friends of Allah, there is no um, anxiety or problem, and there is no depression. Yes, there is no sadness or grief. And this phrase, half and yahzun. Is repeated many times in the Quran. The first uh, time it occurred is in ayah number 39, uh, 38 of Surah Al That if you follow the guidance from Allah, uh, then you will not experience uh, anxiety and um, sadness or this um, uh, grief and depression. Whenever I hear fear, uh, anxiety, and depression, I'm always reminded. Uh, by the saying that you know the past is history, the future is a mystery, and the present is a gift. Uh, that's not a hadith. That's by Master Ubi, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and and um, and Allah is saying that, uh, that that and and it's also interesting. No fear, no uh, no anxiety, no depression is repeated many times when it comes to the ayah of charity. That when you live in a life of service, that you help others. Then Allah says, La khawfna alayhim wa lahum In the 260s onwards of Al-Baqarah, Allah repeated a few times, La khawfna alayhim wa lahum yahzanun When it comes to giving charity, when it comes to helping others, when it comes to managing um, our wealth. So how does helping others, how does live, leading, a, leading a life of service actually uh, brings about happiness? Because in reality, you're actually giving away something that belongs to you to someone else. 
The notion of happiness generally is I want more and more and more. How does giving actually make you happier? Yeah, so it's, it's a really um, interesting concept, actually, the concept of um, giving and the concept of um, gratitude. And again, when we come back at the neurotransmitters, so see where serotonin and the oxytocin is connectedness, giving to other people, right? And then serotonin, feeling that you're healthy, right? And then endorphins, things that you find hard to do, but you keep doing. What does that end up? You end with more a stable line of happiness, which then is contentment. Right, so that when you talk about the brain function, that is um, how it works. But when you talk about, let's say, let's talk about kind of the emotions that goes through that process. Um, actually, even if you do a very quick Google on like, or how to increase your mental health, you actually find very, very true Islamic concepts in it. Um, like for example, one thing is charity, do something kind. They call it the kindness pandemic, correct? Do something good for other people without people knowing it. And what does Allah tells us, what does Prophet Muhammad tells us about charity? Give as if when you're right that your left doesn't know of it. Right? So it's the it's the same concept. So doing that kind of act. A lot of people sometimes think of charity as monetary. Right? Um, but we all know that charity, the smallest charity, what is it? A smile. A smile that everyone can give. Right? Right now everyone can give. Right? See, I've got charity. <laughs> right, so, so a smile. And you know, as a youth, I always tell people, I, you know, sometimes I wake up and oh gosh, you're getting really old, we have you know, people half our age we're talking to, yeah? Um, but you know, you've got so much energy, you've got also a hundred left time on your hands. There is so much that you can do with energy and with time. To act not only for other people, but actually for your own self, for your own mental health. Right? There's so many ways you can help. There's so many, um, not only Islamic organizations, there are so many other organizations, even a lot of random things like being kind to the environment, picking up the rubbish, going to the beach with a plastic bag and picking everything um, that's you know not useful along. All of those is actually giving. Right, and, and you would find that by giving and doing something that's beneficial actually helps you in that happiness. And when you talk, think about the neurotransmitters that's happening in your mind, in your brain, and that's, that's essentially what it is. Uh, Imam Junaid al-Baghdad, um, who is one of our great scholars, um, who's known as Imam al-Fatayn, because he is a master of the fiqh and also master of sciences, of the heart, and he said, and it's really interesting, um, I think, when he said, uh, that I have made it a foundation in my life, that everything in this world, that after I made that as my foundation in life, nothing in this world bothers me, nothing in this world troubles me. And the foundation is, this life of this world, dunya, everything in this world is hum, hum, it's going to be Sadness, it's going to be depression, it's going to be difficulty, it's going to be so. And he said, if there is anything good that happens in my life, that's a bonus, that's a fadl from Allah. But he doesn't expect that because he said, uh, his understanding is, 
dunya, life of this world is darul ibtihah. Or and in, in the hadith that is quoted is dunya sibdul mu'min. That the this life of this world is a prison for the believer. So you are not here to have fun all the time. Happiness maybe, but not fun. There's this completion between fun and happiness. So uh, what do you have to say about this mindset of setting the expectancy really low? about what you get from life. That it is going to be difficult, it is going to be a struggle, it is going to be hard, it's going to be tough. Occasionally something good happens, that's a father from Allah, but do not expect it. Expect and be prepared right, uh, in your mind for a hard life. What do you have to say about this? I think it's really quite helpful to have the perception in your mind that you have the lower expectations from other people. Right? So you don't expect that, oh, my spouse needs to make me feel happy. My mother needs to make me feel happy. My father needs to do this to make me feel happy. It's because my mother said this, that is why I'm unhappy. It's because my dad did that, that is why I'm unhappy. So the expectations that people have of what they are supposed to get, I think that is what, um, you know, the things about, which is really quite important. Because once you set such a high expectations of, what is what you want to get, and if you don't get that, everything just goes crashing down, isn't it? And I think that brings us to our next thing that um, I actually have in mind about you know the purpose of our life. Like in terms of um, for us uh, as Muslims, what what's our purpose? What's the point of this dunya? I think uh, now before I answer the question, there's another question going back to you. Uh, when you meet your clients, do you find people having a clear purpose in life, um, having become, they, they have better mental state, mental health, as opposed to people who do not have a clear purpose in life? Is there a difference whether or not you have a purpose in life, or it doesn't make any difference? Uh, it does, but I don't really see much people having a clear purpose. In life. All right. Okay. So. Uh, so when we talk about the purpose in, 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 in life, uh, it's interesting from a religious perspective. Having uh, when, when I was discussing with a group of um, religious leaders from other religions, um, apparently it's only the Quran that clearly states our purpose in uh, purpose of our creation, with in, in, in without any ambiguity. You know, other books in other scriptures, you have to read between the lines. You have to read into it the purpose. But the Quran is very clear where God says, I did not create man, genie and mankind except to serve me as my servants. To worship me. With mankind there is another purpose. Allah says in Khalifa that human beings are created to be Khalifa. So we've got these two responsibilities. And when we look into um, the, 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 the definition of these two responsibilities, we can find it uh, in, in the Quran and Allah says that you will be afflicted. You will be afflicted by uh, humiliation and poverty, and, and wherever you are, unless you establish these two relationships: Allah and Your relationship with Allah and your relationship with your fellow human beings. Otherwise, you will always life will always be miserable. And this is the two purposes, because Allah says لِيَعْبُدُونَ to do ibadah, our relationship with Allah. And the second is Khalifa on earth, our relationship with our fellow creations. Be it human beings, be it the environment, be it animals, fellow, fellow creations. 
So when we've, we've got a, a duty, and our purpose is to serve Allah, right? worshiping Him, and to serve the rest of the creation of Allah. So anything that makes um, uh, anything that makes the world a better place, makes make us as an individual a better human being, helping our community improve, helping our environment be a better place, is a step to fulfilling the purpose uh, in life. Yes, that is in, in any way. Yes. In itself as well. It's yep. just not a specific ibadah like yep. salah. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah. And I think another real importance um, when we talk about mental health is that uh, notion of patience. Resilience through shukur. Yeah, sabr and shukur, that balance. You know, the balance between being patient and um, the balance of having gratitude. Um, and it's really quite amazing, um, with mental health work, uh, we can never run away from doing gratitude training. Part of one of the most important things that I teach clients is to actually practice gratitude, whether they are Muslims or non-Muslims. But I honestly find it harder to teach gratitude to uh, a client who is, a, who is an atheist, because who do they give thanks to? And it's a question that they will ask me, who do I give thanks to? And if they don't have a God, and aren't we so thankful that we have a God to give thanks to? And that alone is such a nirma that a lot of people who do not have the concept of God, they don't know who to thank. And in them not knowing who to thank, it is so hard to feel. Alright? So, um, that concept of gratitude, you know, we always think about, you know, Alhamdulillah, that's gratitude. But what are we saying Alhamdulillah for? And that is being quite mindful. And, you know, Allah tells us, if you try and write your gratitude, you won't be able to finish writing. So, how do you practice gratitude then? So, one of the easiest way, and I think, this is one of um, my tips to go to as a psychologist that I find people can be quite consistent in doing is that before you go to bed at night, take out, use the notes app in your phone or have a book beside your bed or something or other, but it's the same place where you write these things. You just write three to five things you're thankful about. Any three to five things that you're thankful about for the day. You actually write the date and write in dot points what you're thankful for. Right? And you do that every day. And at the end of the month, when you have 30, you just read it. And you would notice all of that, so at least a hundred things that you've written, is actually different. It's actually quite different. And then you realize that. It is so true that I cannot count the blessings that Allah has given you. There's actually so much. And the moment you start being conscious of writing that, what happens is that when you do something in your life, you know, in your office, and something good happens, you go like, oh, I'm going to have that tonight. And you know, immediately you feel that, alhamdulillah, I'm thankful for that. So it just brings that consciousness of there is so much to be grateful for. This gratitude therapy was actually done in UC Berkeley, about uh, 10 years ago. They administered it for a month on clinically uh, depressed uh, clients' patients. 
and they found that it's a, this, a group was given uh, medication, a group was given gratuitous therapy, and they found that the gratuitous therapy came out better than uh, medication. Yeah. Um, gratitude training has actually is evidence based, um, and actually knowing who to give thanks to actually increases um, the effectiveness of gratitude um, training. So I urge you to start that tonight. Um, it really takes you two minutes or less um, to actually write three to five things that you are very thankful for, and try that for thirty days, and then read it and try that. You know, carry it on because that is also called being thankful of what you have and what Allah um, has bestowed upon you. It can be something as little as, um, like uh, something I'm going to write to you would be, uh, I was lying down with my head and my little daughter came and um, gave me a bud of flower and just put it on the bed and just as gently as a four-year-old could walk in the room and um, she put it on the side of my bed and then you know, I opened my eyes a little and I saw that and then she was just checking whether I was still asleep and then she just walked out again and you know so that would be something I would write about you know how many of the little butterflowers someone gave me you know so um, and those kind of things actually then makes you realize that there are just so many things and Allah tells us if you're grateful is going to give you more reasons to be grateful. It's going to add more on them. And uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, uh, in, in one of his lessons, he said that the opposite is also true. If you start complaining, then Allah will give you more reasons to complain. And if you choose to look at problems in your life, and then you will have more problems. And Allah will send you more problems and more things for you to uh, complain yeah, about. So on, on that note, it's not to say that we are just going to ignore problems, you know. Um, problems are there. And I think it is um, foolish to think overly positive and go like, oh, everything's going to be okay, you know, and yeah, this, it's, it's not helpful, right? So problems are there, and problems need time to be processed, and it needs to be thought about, processed, and solved, if it can be solved. And if it cannot be solved, it needs to be processed and then let go. This is what you said, sabr, uh, resilience just now, and this is the key that you have sabr in facing uh, problems. When, when, when you say let go, um, I find it, you know, in, in the Quran, when Allah mentioned about the Battle of Uhud, uh, this, um, the year when the companions was very sad, and a lot of uh, major Sahaba were killed in that battle, and the Muslims lost uh, the second half of the battle. And the Quranic commentary of it is really interesting because Allah said, you know, yeah, if you if you feel pain, last year you inflicted pain to those people. So last year, Ibadah, you killed them. And this year they killed you. Life is a cycle. Live with it. So is that a, is, is that a helpful way to look at it when something bad happened? Like, yes, it happens. So deal with it. So, so what? It's telling yourself that uh, to cope with it and say, if you can't just... Let it go, things will happen. I think that term is called what we call acceptance. Alright. Alright? Um, so, rebel. Rebel. Yeah. So, um, acceptance is also, acceptance is actually the tail end after we process. So, you know, when bad things happen, it's normal for us to feel um, stressed, one, and then it's normal for us to feel sad, 
And it's also normal for us to feel anger, right? And it's also normal for us to deny. Like how Sayyidina Umar denied the Prophet Muhammad right? So, and then after that comes acceptance. So, and there are this process, and we call that the grief and the bereavement process, so the sadness process that we go through, um, and that needs to actually happen. <coughs> Yes, back to... Yeah, 
so self -talk. Uh, it is uh, self-talk. So when you hear the term self-talk, what, what do you think about that? What does that mean? Sorry? Affirmations. Affirmations? The voice in your head. The voice in your head? That's good. So self-talk is what basically you say to yourself, the verbal, the verbal thoughts that goes through your mind. And we actually talk to ourselves a lot more than we talk to other people. Right? So what goes through your mind is actually totally well within your control. What you say to yourself, what you say in your head. This repetitions that goes through over and over and over again. Right? So watch what you say to yourself. And part of, let's say, when people come for therapy, um, when, especially when they're having anxiety or when they're having depression, it's often because the thoughts in their mind are debilitating them. The thoughts in their mind are unhelpful and it's stopping them from doing things, right? Out of fear or out of worry or out of despair, right? So, You've got to watch what you say to yourself. So always be sure that you are saying things that are helpful, right? But also these things that you say needs to be true. So for example, if you know, like yeah, let's say you're going to have exams and you say, oh gosh, I'm going to fail this exam, I'm going to fail this exam, so I'm going to fail this exam. Really, really, really going to fail this exam. That's really, really unhelpful because it's just going to spiral down and then you just have to lift yourself up from you know down there which is harder when you're actually here but because you keep saying I'm gonna feel 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 you're just gonna go down there so when you want to lift yourself and even lift the mood to study you've got to start from down there and so it's a lot harder so think a more helpful and this is what we call cognitive reframing the fancy word of changing yourself talk um, is essentially say stop saying I'm going to fail, say that this exam is tough, it's true, I feel unprepared, it's true, I need to study more, that's true. Do say something helpful, right? But what so, if the exam is tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Do what you can A good night's sleep is better than crying. <laughs> A great portrait of everything. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so self-talk is really, really important. And oftentimes, we are the worst in self-sabotaging ourselves and actually bringing our own self down. And we've got to be quite aware of that. So, people who are having, I'm talking about clinical anxiety and clinical depression, um, a psychologist actually need to help them out of this because um, they are too engulfed in it. They cannot see it already and we need to actually teach them skills to go through it. But for gen the general population, where you know, you're coping, you're working, you're studying, you're going on okay, inshallah, you can actually catch these thoughts, right? And to do that, you've got to be present. And it's actually, it's actually quite helpful to um, not have notifications on the whole time on your phones because it gives you time to actually process your own thoughts. So um, treat, treat sometimes as to have, you know, 
no noise from other people. Honestly, those notifications can really, really wait. If someone is, you know, urgently needing your attention, they will call you 20 million times, all right? Um, but otherwise, it's really not important, insignificant even, to check someone's updated, some status, right? So having that moments of silence so you can actually process what your brain is telling yourself is really quite helpful. And then being sure what sorts of thoughts are going through and what you're feeding your brain. So what you watch, what you hear, um, people who you associate with, so the people who, how people talk to themselves or talk to you affects how you talk to yourself, right? Especially if people you look up to or significant others say something to you, you're more likely to um, process that, you know, and sometimes you remember that in your whole life. So, for example, like um, a teacher whom you really like tell you that, oh, you're really, you've got really beautiful writing. You sort of like really hold on to that and you actually try to improve your writing, to make it really beautiful because you want to internalize that. Same as um, if someone significant to you um, says something, um, you know, not really kind about you. Like, you know, you've got crooked teeth and, you know, and, you know, you constantly hold on to that and you refuse to smile because of your crooked teeth. So, you know, it can work both ways. So, remember to surround yourself. And again, that's the concept of the Jumaa, right? Of surrounding yourself with people who are helpful and useful and kind. Um, kind to you. I think before going into self-talk that are unhelpful a bit more, we'll get into... Um, the sufferings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about when we talk about spiritual health? What do you think are, I guess, the tips in, in, in having, I guess, starting, starting to be more aware of the spiritual side of things in balancing? I think when we look based on this discussion, there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, what do you call that? Relation between mental health and spiritual health, because traditionally in Islamic tradition, um, mental health and spiritual health is the same thing. Our psychologists are scholars of the soul, like Imam Al-Ghazali when he was talking about um, he was talking about sifat um, al-madmuma, how do we purify our heart from diseases of the heart? How do you purify from Anger, how do you purify from? And we talk about anger. Anger is a mental uh, problem. Uh, you got, how do you from prison, from, from depression? That's also a, a, a mental uh, issue. So, a spiritual and mental issue has always been addressed. Um, yeah, closely, very closely related in Islam. Uh, yeah, true. And, and, and the problem that we see today is that um, about 150 years, 200 years ago, um, a group of Muslims decided to throw away um, that element of Islam altogether. For some reason, it's, 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 it's a reaction because within the Tasawwuf you have, uh, it's a spectrum. You've got those who are Tasawwuf Tazkiyah, the Muhammad Ghazali, like focus on purification of the soul. And then you've got the Tasawwuf Falsafiyah, the philosophical Tasawwuf that discusses weird things or some, things, some people find it really difficult and this is where you get the discussion about unity of God and so on and so forth. And because of this problem within
convinced or some some people find it like let's just throw away the bath the baby with the bath water and that's where we lose the tradition of spiritual health and psychology within our tradition um, but when we and, and uh, if you can shed some light you look at the practices of the prophet one of the dua that he taught us to recite um, in the morning and the evening is the dua against Allah He's asking, Oh Allah, protect me from hammi wal hazar, from sadness and depression, from worry and depression, jubni wal from being weak and being uh, stingy, abzi wal kasal, from weak and uh, laziness. So, are this dua, apart from daily dua asking from Allah, are this considered self talk as well, self affirmation? Yes, definitely. So, like our du'as and our affirmations to self. So like the the morning and evening zikir is actually a really good grounding, especially if you know the meaning of what you're So doing. I think it's important that while we practice those du'a that were taught, the zikir that were taught by the Prophet mm-hmm. in the morning and afternoon, how what we start our day with, what we end our day with, it is important apart from the barakah of reading in Arabic, it's important that we know the meaning and internalize the meaning. So you get that balance, spiritual and mental health together. Because there is barakah in reading Adkar of Nabawi, the Adkar of the Prophet. But when you look into the meaning, it's profound. It teaches you to be a positive person. Like, I'm going to start my day, I'm going to choose not to be uh, uh, anxious and not to be depressed. I'm going to choose not to be lazy. It's as if that you can choose not to be lazy, you can choose to be productive uh, throughout, throughout the day. So that is again making that cognitive reframing actually having that intention, right? Everything begins with that intention. When you start with, okay, I intend to try and do this. So your brain is really helping yourself kind of um, towards getting that success into that improvement um, of self. Then, you know, in midday, you start tapering off, then you kind of, then you actually then have your salah, you have your zohar prayer to actually energize that again and to actually center yourself again. And that's often, um, you can take your prayer times um, to actually use that time to affirm what you're trying to, right, what you're trying to get. You can hold on to um, a few simple du'as or affirmations that you feel deeply connected to and actually use your prayer times for that. And I think we've got to bring back that mindfulness during the prayer, being more present in our prayer, understanding what we read during the prayers. When we talk about gratitude, then in prayer we, we, we have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. We start with gratitude. Alhamdulillah, we be grateful to, to Allah. So you, have, you, you started your day with the dua, the dhikr, and then as your uh, mental and spiritual battery gets low, you break from your Allah, salah, you reflect on the ni'mah and be grateful to Allah, and then you go again and do asr and so on. So you've got this points in your life where you recharge your mental and spiritual state. Um, so now, uh, is mental health, so it will, at which point, now this is something that we, we, we tend to get also people with mental problems tend to think that the solution to it is more dhikr, more Quran, uh, so where do we draw the line? And there are people in, in some, some, some we have met in the community that say that no, you're not supposed to see it. Muslims don't need psychologists. We don't need psychiatrists. We've got the Quran. We've got the Adkar of Nabawi. We just recite Quran. It's more Quran. 
when do we actually draw the line that we actually need help or the, the self or self-talk and affirmation that is dua is all it's just I think from where we had that explain when we're beginning, when you have when you're in a state of normal mental health and you're just going through that continuum of like zero to five, the zikir and the prayers and your self-talk helps. But the moment you're heading towards mental illness, that is where you need to seek help. So when you are constantly sad, like you can't wake up, it finds it's such a trouble to get out of bed and you're dragging your feet um, to work and it's affecting your work, it's affecting your studies. Um, you stop socializing from people, um, you, you know, those kind of things. Like you start changing a lot of your habits. You start thinking that life isn't really worth living, that's when you really need. So how long do you give that period that you end that state? Is it immediate? Like, you don't feel like waking up this morning, should I then consult a psychologist? Or should I wait? It will pass. Three days, one week, ten days, or is there... Yeah, that's a really good way. It depends on the situation. So for example, if you've had something, you know, bad happen to you, right? Like, um, you lost a family member. Um, it's quite obvious that you're going to go through periods of severe grief and bereavement and that can go on for about a month or two, right? And then after that you expect life to slowly come back to normal. But after that, so for example, after two months of the death of the person and then you know you haven't got back to normal, that's where you've got to seek help. Islamically the Prophet tells us when you have you when death happens, you've got three days. On that three days, you can weep, cry, all you want, not go to work. But on the fourth day, life should restart. Should yeah. Yeah. Alright, um, we will then set 10 more minutes. So, tips for good mental health. So, I think we talked about self-talk. Watch what you say to yourself and what you feed your brain. So, what you watch and what you listen to and what other people say around you. That's really quite helpful. Right, and then we talked about um, gratitude training, your sugar list. So start there, five things, three to five things every night. Um, don't be over and ambitious and when you list a hundred things a day, then you'll stop doing it after three days because it takes too much time. Start small, istiqamah, soup. Small deeds that are prolonged is much better than one whole big deed that lasts um, for a short while. And then um, look at things well within your control to change. Oftentimes when you think that I want to make a change, you start thinking about the world, you know? I'm going to stop world hunger, I'm going to try and see what I can do to stop world hunger. And you go, so hard. I'm going to stop Rima. No more interest. You know, you start, you, train, you think about something so big and then you go like, oh, it's too, too big, oh, thank you. But start of what is well within your control, and oftentimes that's really your own self. So maybe you want, um, maybe you want to wake up earlier and you know, maybe have the hundred, or you want to wake up earlier and start exercising. Maybe you want to um, be more helpful around your house, for example, or maybe you want to be more helpful in the community. Um, so you start thinking of ways that you can do that's well within your control and it is not too big because often start small and build it up because that level of success, when you feel successful, remember our serotonin, our endorphins, 
So when you feel success, you get serotonin, you get that release and you get that affirmation that, oh, I'm doing something good. So then you can increase it and increase it and increase it. So always start by doing something good and usually it's well within what you can control, well within yourself. Um, and then be mindful in the moment. Um, have time to shut off from technology, you know? Silent everything for a bit. Go out, um, we enjoy the bush, so go out to the bush where there are no reception, you know? Be with family where there's no reception, and you know, there's no internet, you can't talk to anybody else, you can't look anywhere else, you can't actually connect with people close to you, or even in silence, and that gives you time to actually think about, what am I thinking? Because sometimes we are just, it's so noisy, our world is just so noisy, there's entertainment, every time, even if it's not entertainment, you're listening to lectures, it's still noise the whole time. So have that silence, that moments of silence where you can actually process your thoughts and actually feel your emotions. And acknowledge that feeling of sadness or um, anger is part of normal human emotion. Sometimes we are sad and sometimes we are angry and sometimes we are, you know, uh, upset, and that's very, very normal. And sometimes we are worried, but use the appropriate word for it. You don't say that, oh, I'm so depressed. Like, really? Are you depressed? Or, uh, or, are, you, or are you just sad? And it's okay to feel sad, right? And, um, and if you're depressed, it's also okay to feel depressed, but you need to then find treatment for your depression, just to stay in that depression because it's just going to engulf you, right? And then um, surround yourself with people who are helpful for you and that you are also helpful to that person. Um, I, I always am so thankful for, we started Kosoi about three years ago now, um, and when we first started Kosoi, we were supposed to start Kosoi with um, I think about six people, isn't it? And at the end, we ended up with... Initially four. Yeah. And then just became two of us. And then um, at the end, but now we have a hundred-hour crew is about 20-odd strong. And um, I feel that the Cosmos crew is um, one crew that is quite helpful to each other. and. I think we can bounce off each other, and, and that's what you've got to find. You've got to find if you're, if unfortunately, some people don't have good family, and you know that's your nasib, and you know you'd be you can't change you the past. Can't change the past, and so you find other resources, your friends, your community that are helpful um, for you, right? Surround yourself with people who are useful, and then charity in various ways. Don't think about just monetary, anything possible um, can be skills. skills, can be charity, right? And then uh, seeking help, right? If you have a mental illness, help is always available. And you don't need to go to a Muslim psychologist for help, right? Other psychologists can also help, especially in that acute state. Um, seeking help is often very, very important um, if you've got a Is it time up already? Yes. Yes. It's just on time. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone.
now be having um, a Q&A question. If you have any questions on your head, feel free to get it off your mind now. Um, just by going onto that link and putting that password in, um, you'll be able to put your questions through. Okay, so create the question and answer. I've got a few questions here uh, already. Uh, all right. So the question is: um, I've been told uh, I've been told I feel depression, and the cause of my is my iman is weak. Is the cause of the, is a weak iman the cause of uh, depression? Um, as we mentioned, Allah told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because he was feeling. And, we, and so the, the phrase that Allah used was Are you going to heal yourself because of this state that you're feeling, the sadness and depression that you're feeling? So, no, depression is not a sign of weak iman. Giving up hope from Allah, that's a different thing. Feeling sad, feeling depressed, but not giving up hope uh, from Allah. Because uh, you can feel sad, but you still know that Allah is there for you. This is where. Yeah, and the Prophet went to Abu Huzun, uh, the, the year of sadness, where his uncle died, his wife died, he was rejected by Mac from Makkah and Ta'if. So yes, feeling sadness, feeling depressed is part of reality of life. Some of us will go through that. It is not a sign of weak mind. But never lose hope from Allah. Allah says, uh, you know, the ayah very similar but the meaning is that do not lose hope from the mercy of Allah those people who lose hope from the mercy of Allah that becomes um, problematic so he feels that it's if it's clinically depressed as uh, Sophia said just now then you can't work, you can't function get help um, so in terms of getting help, sometimes people are not sure where to seek help. So like uni has got their counsellors um, at student services. You can go there and they can actually assess and see if you actually need to see a psychologist or if they are counsellors, they can actually sort you out. And if you need to see a psychologist, if you are citizens of permanent residence, you have the mental health care plan that gives you 20 mental health sessions a year Medicare rebated, so it's usually not bulk built. Um, there are psychologists who bulk built, but there are not many of them. Um, so generally, there is a gap fee of probably ranges from about thirty dollars to a hundred dollars, depends on who you see. Um, 
but you get but bulk of it is actually Medicare related up to 20 sessions a year. That's generally about two sessions a month. Pretty, pretty good. Right, and you can get 20 more sessions the following year. And I think uh, it's also very important to understand uh, when you some people tend to say that oh you've got depression shows that you are demand is weak. Depression is a mental illness, just like you have physical illness. You will not say oh you got uh, you got the flu, you got weak demand. Oh, you got cancer because you got weak demand. It's just a, you know, uh, so it's just it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, all right, this is an interesting question. I like this. Some people say that listening to music makes them feel peaceful. Haram though, advise those who want to quit but want to listen to something similar. So, music being haram is something that is not mortaman in the religion. It is a khilafi matter, it is something where there are differences of opinion. I understand the general practice in, in, in Perth is that it's haram because Perth Islamic identity is shaped pretty much by one school of thought. But there are other school of thoughts within um, the Ahlusunnah uh, Jama'ah framework. Now, why it is true that if you look at the position of the format, the dominant position in the format, music is haram. You look into that. But you look within the madhab, you will find a lot of discussions. So, for instance, within the Shafi'i madhab, you find it in Imam Nawawi saying that yes, it is haram. But you find within the book, within the, the, the tradition, you will have even within one madhab there is no agreement. There is strong disagreement amongst scholars. Like within Shafi'i, Imam al is one of our giants. And he opines that music is not haram. He said that music is halal depending on the listener. What, how does it affect the listener rather than it being haram in itself? Now, why do we have those differences? Because there is nothing in the Quran that tells us exactly that music is haram. The dalil that people will bring forth for the tahrib, the prohibition of music, is Surah Luqman. So there are a group of people who would purchase entertainment uh, in order to distract people from the path of Allah. And you have multiple Sahaba who would say, I swear in the name of Allah that Lahwal Hadith here refers to music. But scholars will say that it is not a proof of haram because if you look into the Asbab al-Nuzul, the reason of the revelation of that ayah is that Abu Jahl was purchasing entertainment. He was organizing concerts so that people would not listen to Prophet Muhammad. They would go to the concert. So he would time his concert at the time when the Prophet would go and do his da'wah. That is why this ayah is not what you call mutlaq. It's not absolute. It's muqayyad. It is the... the what's muqayyad in English? Help me, Arabs. <laughs> it's tied to something else. Yeah, it's tied to If it distracts you from the path of Allah. So, this is why Al-Ghazali and scholars in the same school would say that music is haram if it affects you negatively. But if it doesn't affect you negatively, then it is halal. So, as long as the content is halal. So, if you listen to lewd music, no discussion about that. If you listen to something that is peaceful, something that uh, and, and as long as it, the, the effect to you is positive, then there's nothing wrong with that. You want to continue holding the position is haram, it's your choice. But I'm saying, I'm presenting another, um, another uh, uh, valid opinion within the frame of Al-Sunnah uh, 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 And within our tradition, you will find Sima, Sama, 
the uh, uh, music therapy is big in um, Muslim uh, mental health uh, program. Of course, it wasn't called mental health back then. It was always mental health and spiritual health is the same thing. So you can start asking about um, the, um, listening to certain types of music that will bring about peacefulness and serenity uh, in, your, in your life. But if you want to quit listening to music, I'm the wrong person to ask. It is very important though, with that, the caveat is that it's very important that the problem with music is that people tend to go off balance, that they are constantly plugged in listening to something, listening to music. Entertainment should be something that fills up a few gaps in your life, it shouldn't be the main purpose of your life. The moment you listen to music more than your Quran, there's something off balance, there. something is wrong there. So I'm not saying go listen to music 24 hours. I'm saying that, fine. You have time for your Quran, but you know, um, all work and no play makes Jack a tough person. So find that balance. If you need to listen to music, go, go, go ahead. Alright, so we've got this one. Mental health illnesses are defined by specific criteria, specific DSM. What about spiritual diseases? How does one identify? I think let's um, talk about, I guess, tips for spiritual health first. Right. Um, and then touch on that. Okay, I think tips for spiritual health, a lot of it has similarities between your tips for mental health, but I think it's important to add on top of what you were saying just now, that you've got your daily routine dhikr. The morning and evening dhikr taught by the Prophet is very, very important. And next is your interaction with the Quran. It's not just about reading, it's really interesting. If you look into how Prophet Muhammad read the Quran, he would interact with the Quran. When it was ayah about adab, punishment, he would speak to the Quran and make dua, says, Oh Allah, protect me from this. Ayah of Ni'mah, he would make dua, he would stop and make dua. Some ayah he would repeat and repeat and repeat. There is one ayah, uh, ayah about forgiveness, he would repeat for his tahajjud, hours and hours, just reciting one, one ayah. From the time of tahajjud until fajr, he would, every night I was just repeating. So it's that interacting with the Quran. You need to understand the Quran, and you speak to the Quran, and the Quran speaks back uh, to you. I think. These two practices on top of what you shared about mental health, which is also very important for spiritual health, I think it's really important for the dhikr and our relationship with the Qur'an. We've got, a, we, we tend to memorize the Qur'an, which is amazing. But one thing that we do when we memorize the Qur'an, the benefits of memorizing the Qur'an, when you want to memorize something, you have to repeat it 10, 15, 20 times. Instead of just repeating without understanding, Read the translation before you start committing this 15, 20 repetition to commit it to memory so that you understand. And you're relating to the Qur'an. You speak to Allah and Allah speaks to you through, uh, through the Qur'an. So those are probably my two tips for that. Mental health is in DSM. What about spiritual disease? Spiritual disease are found in Tasawwuf books. Imam Al-Ghazali listed in Al-Ba'ayti Usul al-Din, 40 principles of the religion in the chapter, chapter 3 or chapter 4. Uh, 10 basic spiritual disease that needs to be addressed. And the way you find our scholars address spiritual disease is very critical. He will give you, this is the name of the disease, these are the symptoms, and this is how you treat them. This is step one, step two, step three of how you treat those symptoms. And this is why you have, in the past, I know this is controversial, there's a lot of problems within these practices. You will pro you're probably, you probably know that 
some, some people belong to certain spiritual path, certain tariqah. This is what a tariqah used to be in the past. It was supposed to be the sheikh who is someone who is trained to identify spiritual disease, give you the treatment. It's like you go into the gym. You got, you, got, you, you got a personal trainer who will tell you like, all right, identify, looking at you, doing an assessment, you're weak, you're low body, you need to do squats, you need to do lunges, you need to do this, this weight, this giving you a regime. And this is why traditionally a spiritual school would do. Identify, look at you like, all right, do an assessment, this is what you need, this is how you uh, improve. Although it has changed over time and it's got its own baggage of uh, problems. But you look at our traditional uh, spiritual books, you will find the diseases being explained very uh, plainly. I would recommend at least get hold on that very thin book, very short book, um, 40 foundation of our religion. There are 10 uh, spiritual strength that we need to work on and 10 spiritual illnesses that we need to remove from, uh, from our hearts. I give charity for him to make the time to look a bit well right now. There is a lot of benefit in doing good, faking it until you make it. You know, so if it, if you don't feel fulfilled, first you've got to kind of examine first the intention of doing that charity, right? So why are you doing it and what kind of charity? So sometimes, it might be things that need some tweaking. Sometimes it might be things that you need to do more of. But sometimes it might be things that you just need to be more consistent about and just continue doing until you find benefit. It's just also similar to exercising, right? The first first few times you do it, you don't really feel much. You actually feel pretty now <laughs> um, doing it. But after a while, then you actually build um, the stamina and then actually the, um, the pleasure comes later. So there's actually benefit in keeping through with it, right? going through with it until you reap uh, the benefit. So being that, doing that consistently, having that is the power, inshallah, that you will find um, I think it's, it's also important that when we give charity, we volunteer all the time, that we have to go in with the right state of mind, the right purpose. Um, because when, when, when Allah talks about charity, feeding people, Allah says, uh, the declaration of a woman, that I am feeding you, I'm giving you food and helping you because I want the pleasure of Allah. I don't want thanks, not even gratitude, no thanks, nothing from you. So when we go in, do charity, expecting people to respect us, expecting people to uh, be kind to us because we were kind to them, be helpful to us because we are helpful to them, that is going to be another point of depression. Because people are not going to always reciprocate. But when you do it with the right frame, frame of mind, that you're doing it for the sake of Allah, and you know that Allah will never lie, Allah will never Break a promise. If he promises that he's going to reward you, he is going to reward you. Coming in from that perspective. And you are happy seeing others happy. You're not happy because you do charity and now people are respecting you. You donate to a masjid, now you see a parking lot dedicated. Azizi, yeah, now I'm happy. Now, that is not the reason you, you, you are doing it. If you're doing it because you want worldly benefits, still material benefit, you are going to be disappointed. You do it for the sake of Allah. Whatever happens, happens. 
You don't have control over how they react, but you have control over how you react and you know that Allah will reward you. Islamic psychology. Books of Islamic psychology. Malik Badri, Professor. The late Professor Malik Badri, who is my teacher, who I deeply respect, actually wrote quite a few books about Islamic psychology, and I think if you track his books down, that's a wonderful starting point. He also translated Abu Zayd al Balti's book, I think. He was translated for Abu Zayd al Balti's book. Yeah, so he translated quite a few older uh, Islamic psychology texts. Um, so he's a wonderful resource to go through. And then there's actually the Association of Muslim Psychologists. And in their website, there's a whole lot of um, resources um, there that you can go through. I also like, um, if you watch short videos, Yakin Institute actually have, during the Ramadan of uh, last year, they had this deed to have it five to seven minutes YouTube uh, videos every day for 30 days about improving your mental health and your istifama. And that's really wonderful. So if you've got get into Yankee Institute YouTube, deeds to have it, watch from session one to session 30. There's so much benefit um, in that. Um, Yes. Yes. So for that one, if it is happening more than um, two months time, I would probably seek help if you are uh, tearing up very often um, and um, not knowing as a reasons or making excuses for very small problems. Um, I would think after, even after this talk and after trying to list down things and you're still in the same state, I would think what do we should we just lower our expectations to the absolute bottom limit? Does it sound like the best idea? <laughs> so expectations are under control. Because if you have expectations that other people should make you feel a certain way, then you're in for a long route of disappointment. Because at the end of the day, it's only you that can make yourself really happy. I think we get this question quite often, like, I'm not happy, I need to get married. <laughs> That's a good one. We keep, we keep getting that, you know, after I get married, I'm going to get be happy. Oh, people are already married. Oh, after we have children, we're going to be happy. Uh, you know, and then the older, older people are, after we have grandchildren, then we're going to be happy. Like, you cannot wait for other people to do something for you. Um, it's it's within well within your control. It's what you do for for yourself. And an unhappy person going into a marriage is not going to be happy. It's just going to be unhappy in a marriage. Um, that's all it's going to be. Um, it's not going to turn into um, happiness, right? So don't think that only if I get that I'm going to be happy, right? You've got to really start within yourself in the present. And, and I think this lowering expectations, um, it's not about um, negative thinking, but it's taking life as it is. The reality is, the Prophet said that the world, life is test. This world is a test. So tests are not going to be easy all the time. If it's easy, it's not going to be called uh, a test. So having that 
right frame of mind that yes, difficult, I'm going to face difficulties in life, but there are also going to be ups in life. There are going to be things that I should be grateful for, but there are going to be difficulties that I have to have patience uh, to be patient with, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is life. So this is, it's not saying that everything is going to be bad, but it's having that right frame of mind. If it's bad, it's part of life. If it's good, it's part of life. Take it, be grateful for the good things, be patient for the bad things. Yeah, I have my days where I fit as a Okay, I have had on and off suicidal thoughts for eight to nine years because of trials in my life which keep happening one after the other. How do I deal with this? Please seek help, um, whoever is writing this. Um, Find, find a psychologist that can work with you. And sometimes, just like GPs, so just like doctors, we are not miracle workers, and sometimes we cannot help everybody. You know, um, sometimes we need to, sometimes you need to find somebody who's right for you. Um, and sometimes when you go to one GP and you find that you have a connection with this GP, and this GP is not helping you, and you go to seek another person, the same thing with the psychologist. Sometimes our first experience meeting with one particular psychologist isn't helpful, and then you've got to go and find another one because there are also different ways of treatment. There's also different therapies, different sorts of things. There's like, so for example, there's some some therapists are more cognitive oriented. Some therapists are more what we call schema therapists, or they're more acceptance. Commitment therapy, some are more Freudian based. There are different ways of healing, and sometimes one way of therapy might not fit you, and you might need to find um, someone else or another form of therapy. Just like you have different kinds of treatment for the same ailment, um, in psychology it's the same as well. So, not every therapeutic method um, fits with the patient. So in, in my treatment as well, for example, there are clients who uh, don't improve and when they don't, um, after a few sessions, I would go like, maybe they need something else. And if I change my method of therapy, I still it doesn't work. And I think that, okay, maybe they need some other therapies that I'm not trained on and then I'm going to refer them on to a different therapist. So there are different things. And there are some more lingering issues. And there's also, treatments that require medication, right? So there are, and these things are not independent of each other. Mild to moderate psychological issues can be treated fully with psychotherapy, right? But more severe psychological issues do also need, oftentimes, at least need some period of medication to stabilize um, the climate, right? Especially to pull them out of danger and stabilize for life preservation. So um, we know that even in our, even Sedatina Aisha, um, she learns a lot about um, medicine and she also does some comfort food. comfort food to help people with anxiety and to help people with depression. So there are medications now that are helpful for stabilizing um, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideations. 
and some of these do need medication plus therapy to improve them, for improvement. So if you, if, uh, some, if you are feeling suicidal, if you're having major depression and severe anxiety, um, there are medications and treatment therapy plans that go um, well together. And things like eating disorders oftentimes need medication for the clients to overcome. So if you're talking about anorexia or bulimia, you're having those kind of eating disorders, it's actually a mental illness, it's categorized under mental illness. The, the treatment is that there's actually three people treating you. There's a doctor, there's a dietitian, and there's a psychologist. All three of us need to work together to form a therapy plan. So th things can be more complex, right? So I don't think it is the time here for me to offer specific advice and treatment plans because any psychologist will not offer you any treatment plan listening from one or two lines of things, right? Things are always more complex than they seem. Uh, you need to find individualized um, help for that. There was a question just now, but um, somehow or other it was removed. I thought it was a good question, I'll address it anyway. Um, that um, he, 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 <coughs> he heard that difficulties in life is the way that Allah tests you so that you have a better life in the Akhirah, but he's having a good life in this world, so what's going to be happening to him in the Akhirah? <laughs> uh, so, we look at Prophet Sulaiman, Prophet Sulaiman, he was rich, he was powerful. Um, and he, when, when he had all this power and wealth in the world, he said, that this is a gift from Allah, this is a blessing from my master to test me whether I am going to be grateful or I am going to be so you you having a good life in this world in this world means it's still a test. It doesn't mean test is not just about difficulty. And a lot of people fail the test of prosperity as compared to the test of difficulties. The test of difficulties usually reminds you of Allah, but the test of prosperity usually takes you like thinking that I'm so great. Huh? Um, it has to be uh, it has to be because I'm great. That's why I am rich and powerful. Then you tend to forget Allah. So the test here. Like Prophet Sulaiman said, is the passing for prosperity, the test of prosperity, the passing mark is uh, shukur, um, gratitude. How do I contact Dr. Safiya? <laughs> As mentioned, it's already fully booked until March, March, April next year. Send us an email, uh, hello at oswa.house. Uh, we process, um, we're not sure when we get a slot, but yeah, send us an email, we'll see what we can do. It is, it is a very tricky thing. I think I um, get new referrals every week. Um, yeah, balancing family, cosmo, and work and practice is a very hard thing to do. And at the end, we all have certain hours of the day. But inshallah, like I said, like. And that's one of the benefits of the being cosmo. You get free, you get free consultation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think um, seeking help is necessary when you need to seek help. Uh, there, there are not many Muslim psychologists in Perth. If you insist on a Muslim psychologist, you're going to find us very hard to find and very stretched. For those of right? you thinking what to study, right? So you know what to do. Um, but other psychologists can offer a lot of a lot of um, help and a lot of and then um, finding that right um, community and that right friendships to connect with 
here to build your connectedness in the community um, that's further is going to um, help with, with your community. What are your thoughts on the objection of many Muslims to pharmacological therapy for mental health illness? I think uh, Safiya addressed this uh, just now, where um, we see Sayyidina Aisha, she wasn't just uh, treating depression and anxiety with dhikr, she also uh, made uh, medicine. Yeah. Uh, it was called, probably today you'll call it comfort food because it was mixed of barley and milk and honey. Um, but when she was asked, why do you do this? She said, because um, this is helpful for people who are uh, anxious and depressed. Yeah, so so we see that practice of um, have taking medication even from the time of uh, So we see how she was realistic. She saw that um, mental illness is just like any illness. There are sometimes you can uh, physical illness. Sometimes you can just treat yourself with exercise, good sleep, and uh, water through it. But sometimes you need extra help with medication. Same goes with. Uh, mental illness. Yeah, probably just caution over medication though. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, in Perth there's a tendency of GPs to over medicate. Like you go to the GP, your father's just passed a week ago and you say, like, I'm sad and he goes, he has antidepressants. Um, so you've got to, I think, um, like I said, processing that, you know, normal sadness, normal grief is part of normal life. You don't need medication for that. But you do need medication when you've got um, a mental illness, right? Oh, yeah. a question earlier about the point you made about dopamine and how it can become independent of what you like to do. No, 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 no. Whether it's good for you or it's bad for you. Some people find dopamine in cigarettes. It's bad for you, but they find joy in that. So, is there a way to kind of like train yourself to like the good things, for example, right? Yeah. You know, examples yes, you can. You can train yourself to like to like things, and then that can give you give you a dopamine release. I think there's something called the laws of learning that's used to brainwash people. That's what you can also brainwash yourself. Basically, you can frame, you can train yourself to like and dislike things, and this is why Allah gives us. Allah makes us responsible for our actions because we have very little control in our life. We don't have control over our parents, we don't have control over where we're living, where we're born, and so on and so forth. But we have control over how we speak to ourselves, that self-talk, that inner speech. And that inner speech is really powerful. It can shape your brain. You Knowing the right steps can make you into whatever you want to be. And this is why Allah holds us responsible.
So uh, that's the thing, I think, when people think about staying positive, they think that oh, I need to feel positive all the time, I need to feel happy all the time. And that's not true, that's not what positivity is all about. Positivity is taking things in stride and having resilience and processing the emotions that are going through. So if you're feeling sad, you actually understand why am I feeling sad? What are the reasons why I'm feeling sad? Can I think for those reasons? And if I can't, then you know you actually try and write down the reasons. Right? So I'm feeling sad. There's so many things I'm feeling sad about. Okay, why is it actually? Take a piece of paper out, actually write down why you're feeling sad. And after a while of writing, you actually notice it's actually repeated. There's actually a few main points and then the rest of it are sub subsets of the same points but it's just going through your mind over and over and over again and what that means is that it is not being processed right so and sometimes if you're constantly feeling sad it means you your brain is overwhelmed you don't have the ability yourself to process those thoughts and that's where you need help for someone, like as a counsellor or a psychologist, to put it down for you so that you can see it more clearly. Right? So we basically help you unscatter things and make it clear so you can then choose to uh, battle one issue after the next and not battling a whole heap of things at one time. Right? So don't try to stay happy all the time. That doesn't work. Right? Life is a process of ups and downs. There are times when you feel sad and there are times that you feel happy, right? And accepting and being aware of what makes you um, sad and processing it and accepting it and then what makes you happy and be thankful um, for that. Alright, how do you pull out of mental health, mental low and preventing from preventing your health? That, those were the tips that was shared just now. We shared the tips to that. Uh, and someone asked, can you list down the recommendations mentioned just now the tips? Follow our Instagram, Koswa House, find it on Instagram, we will post it maybe in the next few days, a couple of days, we'll put it up there at Koswa House. Define 
about meditation. Yeah, meditation. Yeah. yeah, so if you're talking about meditation where you empty your mind absolutely of nothing, then that can be dangerous. Uh, because when you empty it of nothing, then something else will fill it. So, but, that having said that, you see the prophet. Uh, meditation is basically being present, being mindful in a restful state. And the prophet found meditative uh, time in prayers because when he was tired, he would tell Bilal, "Arehna ya Bilal," you know, make the call for Allah and give us some rest. Prayer is our meditative, meditative practice. This is when we are present. We empty our mind from anything else but what we are doing in prayer. And this is why also in our salah we are guided what to be decided. It's not just left blank. It's not just you're supposed to be you and counting your breath or you and the air and the universe. It's you and Allah. There is specific dua, there's specific Quran that you have to recite. Recommendation of God that you have to recite. This is why uh, prayer is a really powerful, not only uh, powerful tool for spiritual health, but also for your mental health. You take a break from the business of daily life, empty everything, this is my time for salah. And Salah gives you that clarity of mind and you see the call for Allah is Hayala Salah, Hayala Salah. Come to prayer, come to success. People who have clarity in their mental health tend to be more successful. Beyond, and you see the Prophet's way of dhikr and his Quran recitation, it is meditative. He would repeat certain ayahs, things that speaks to him, that, that arose to him at that particular moment, he would recite them often. You see that when he is in trouble, he will pray. Even in the battle of Badr, in the midst of the battle of fighting, Sayyidina Ali said that he would fight the Prophet sometimes in front fighting, sometimes he would take some break, pray. He would be in the stand praying. And then he would, after he's done his prayer, he'd go back and, and fight. So that uh, med- meditation within our tradition is that. But it's not just empty. You fill it up with dhikr. You fill it up with connecting to Allah. It's not about you emptying yourself, counting your breath. It's, about you and Allah. I think like, you know, um, things like sometimes when you want to enter some place and you're quite nervous and that's where you want to do your deep breaths and things like that. Always accompany it with um, zikir and with dua. So you can choose like, you know, favorite zikirs that you feel really connected to. And when you are taking that deep breath to kind of calm yourself down, you actually say, Say the zikir. Like, so, for example, Ya Arham Arrahimin Arhamdan. You know, like, oh Allah, the most merciful, have mercy on you. Right? You know, you accompany it with with um, with zikir, and um, then you would find more more contentment in it. So, like, you know, some people do like you know stretches or yoga exercises, right? Um, which is fine to do, but include zikir while doing it. You know, like instead of emptying your mind, actually include the zikr that are helpful while you're doing those kind of exercises. Why do people think the role of an imam and the role of a non-Muslim psychologist are mutually uh, exclusive? Uh, now, the thing is, an imam is not trained in psychology. Basically, an imam uh, is if he, if he memorizes the Quran, well, he memorizes the Quran, not necessarily he actually understands or studies tafsir. If he studies fiqh, he's a lawyer. You don't go to a lawyer with your mental problems because fiqh is law. So he, he, you don't, you've got a mental problem, you go see a lawyer. Uh, you, 
you're going to get into more trouble. So yeah, you need to see a person with the right skill set. So if the Imam happens to be trained in psychology, inshallah, that's great. But unfortunately, we don't have, I'm not aware of any in Perth, if there is, alhamdulillah, that's great. But otherwise, you may need to say, no. An Imam who understands that this is a problem can guide you from a spiritual angle and a psychologist who can help you from your, for your mental health. Uh, there's another question about music. Don't you think listening to graphic music makes it easier for shaitan to make other types of music more appealing and stuff as time passes by? Now, this, in fiqh, there's a concept called sufi, there's a concept called zarar to close the door to something that is haram. So, if something is, this is haram, you close the door, not here, but a bit further, something that may lead to something haram. The question is, how far do you draw the border? If you draw it too far, then people will run away from religion. It's just like saying, if you listen to music today, halal music, you listen to music praising Allah and the Prophet. Today, next week, you're going to listen to death metal, black metal, or something, something else. It's just like saying, if you eat food kebab today, next week, you're going to eat pork. So stop eating meat, go vegetarian. So you see, if it just because something is haram doesn't mean that things that are closely related to it, not, not closely, remotely related to it is haram as well. It's really important for us to know what is haram and where do we draw the line. Sometimes in our zealousness of doing something that is, uh, preventing something that is haram, we draw the line too far. And when we draw the line too far, it makes our life difficult and people will then think that it is the religion that is difficult rather than it's actually our perception of the religion. If you want to draw the line for yourself, then it's good. Go right ahead. But do not enforce it on others. Time is up. Very much. Yes, alright. Thank you very much for your time. I think uh, we seek your apologies. Why any mistakes done during the session? Um, do you have any last words? Yeah, thank you very much, and we apologize for not being able to answer these many, 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 many questions. Um, and we don't even think that we would have time to answer it over the course so, of um, another hour or so. So, um, yeah, so I guess those questions will be kept, but I think maybe some of your sub resources will try and get the write up um, and try and address those uh, in due time. But, but, but the tips will put it up on our, uh, our Instagram account. Yeah. Jazakallah khairan for the speakers. Um, may Allah lighten our hearts and ease our journey in having a good spiritual health. Thank you all for attending tonight's Maiwa lecture. Inshallah everyone has found the event to be beneficial. Maiwa has many more further events.